This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you everyone. This is Alex Fitton with the Adoptive Mom Podcast. And I'm so excited for my very first guest. Her name is Anne Mythaller, and I just love her to pieces. She is the director of The Call in Area 1, and for those not in Arkansas, The Call is Children in Arkansas Loved for a Lifetime. So Anne helps out with that. It's a nonprofit with a goal of educating and training foster and adoptive parents in Arkansas. And when I say helps out, I just basically mean she's the baller who runs a giant chunk of it. Um, she's a mom to a whole bunch of kids, most of whom are adopted, and today she's going to share with us what it's like to power through and to trust God in the midst of a journey that looks a whole lot like Job's. I am so excited for you to hear, so let's jump right in. Welcome, Anne. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. How many kids you have, Um, names, ages? Yeah, so, so um, I have eight kids, uh, two biological daughters. Emily is 14, and Kylie is almost 10, um, and six, six adopted kids. Charlotte just turned 24. Leo is 22, uh, and then I have David and Daniel are both seven and a half. Meredith is six, and Hayden is three. Goodness, so, like, just no big deal, right? No big deal. There's like just a 20 year age span between my first, my oldest and my youngest. No <laughs> well, and just to be clear, you, I mean, like what's the age gap between you and Charlotte? Cause it's not, it's not much, right? Oh yeah. 13 years. I was seventh grade when she was born. Super. Yeah. That's me and Clark. I was 11 when he was born. So I'm, yeah. So I'm just... when, um, when we adopted her, I like, you know, they give you the birth certificate paperwork to fill out and it says like, address of mom at the time of this childbirth and I just didn't think anything of it and so I literally wrote where I lived at the time she was born so her (laughs) birth certificate has my childhood address on it that's awesome (laughs) that's super and they all except for one they all still like live at home with you which is crazy pants yeah oh my goodness um so Okay, and you said you had, so you have lots of, like, pseudo-twins, kind of like we do, too. Like, you have Dave and Dan. Dave and and Dan are just, um, what, 10 weeks apart? And Meredith is is right behind them. She's 14 months behind the boys. Goodness. Yeah, so we're we're both accidental triplet moms. Yes, it's it's really fun. Yeah, it's super, let me tell you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay, so let's, I just want to hear your story. And I already know so much of it, but it's fragmented and in pieces because I feel like, I mean, I've known you for not even that long in the grand scheme of things, but I feel like the biggest chunk of like all the action I have known you for. And so, yeah, let's just jump right in. Like, what did you, what got you into adoption? And then let's fast forward to all the like recent events. Okay. Um, so Adoption has been something I just, it, I was always fascinated with it growing up. My dad was adopted by his dad, um, who would have been a stepdad. And something about the way he wasn't ever treated like a half sibling or any of that, it just was fascinating to me, just as far back as I can remember. Um, then um, growing up, like as I grew up, I, foster care just kind of was always something. My mom was in care when she was younger. Um, she spent some time in foster care and her experience wasn't good. And so, um, just from hearing those things, it was something that's always on my radar. Um, then I met Carrie and started dating him and his parents were foster parents. So that was something that was kind of always part of our conversation, even from starting to date. Um, then we, I mean, fast forward, we got married and actually inquired about becoming foster parents within the first year of our marriage. But at the time, there was um, a policy that you had to be married two years before you could foster. So we kind of put that on the back burner. And in the meantime, got pregnant and had Emily. 
Um, and then just kind of went on about our lives, I guess. Uh, four years later, we had Kylie. And when Kylie was about six months old, there was a man who visited our church who really had this um, anointing to speak boldly about God's mandates for Christians to care for the orphans and widows. And he could say things that, like, if I said it, it would be offensive. I mean, he stood there and he called us all hypocrites because we weren't opening our homes. And it wasn't it wasn't offensive. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, we kind of are. Like, um, at that time, Arkansas was voting, I think, I want to say, on maybe gay marriage or or who was allowed to adopt in the state of Arkansas. And he called us hypocrites because he said that the church was going to um, be voting on who was allowed to take these children in, but then we weren't opening our own homes wow. to take wow. them in. And it was, yeah, it just, I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, so we left that, that church meeting and drove, I mean, we, we lived like, 30 or 45 minutes away from church, we made it halfway home in complete silence. Neither one of us said anything. Wow. And then um, we just kind of finally, I think, Carrie looked at me and was like, so what did you think? And I was like, <laughs> I think that was for us. So uh, I was still I was still nursing Kylie at that time. So I was up all hours of the night, and I pulled up the computer and started just researching different adoption, like types of adoption and I just always kept coming back to foster care. So we decided to start the process to open our home for foster care. And it took, but we were, you know, we were going to be an adopt only home because we just couldn't introduce the chaos and instability of foster care to our little girls. (laughs) I know. Um, So every time, every time somebody says that now, I'm like, Hey, I, I was you once. Well, it's just funny because I know like where you are now. And I don't even think we said at the beginning, but um, she's kind of a big deal because she's the director of a a foster care nonprofit in the area. So, yeah, so we just I mean, we were going to be adopt only. We were going to take like two little boys and that was going to be our family. And so we we went through the process and it was really strange because going through these classes, I mean, the training was fantastic, but they, there wasn't really, we didn't get to know anybody in our training group that we just like bonded with and, and, and felt called to the same things. Um, so we, I mean, we continued on and it was, it was kind of a, a lonely path. There was, we didn't have other people walking alongside us who understood what we were being called to. So there weren't other people we could talk to. And then we, uh, I got our home open, and we sat open, actually, as an adopt-only home for nine months and inquired about every child in the sibling group in a 500-mile radius and never heard back from any of them. Wow. Just not even a response. So in that time, I mean, obviously nine months after that, like, the girls are getting a little bit bigger and um, just kept doing research, kept praying about what God wanted from my life in this season And, um, I had a friend come to me and he said, I, I mean, I feel like I have a a word from God for you. And I think that you should really work, look at expanding your vision here. If you only help, help the kids that come into your own home, that's a limited number. But if you figure out some way that you can help more than just the kids that are coming into your own home. And he even said like maybe walking other people through the process or something. He said, I mean, your impact could be so much greater here. Um, so I, I took that and just kept researching and came across the call, which had been launched in, in Pulaski County in Little Rock um, a few years before. And I just loved the model of taking this need to the ch- church and saying, church, these are these children are our responsibility. Mm-hmm. So simultaneously um, started working on that, started working on launching the call and also in, in that season, somebody shared the statistics for the Northwest Arkansas Children's Shelter that they were turning away twice as many kids as they could help because of lack of bed space. And that was their old facility. They're in a nicer, newer facility now. But um, I was really convicted because we had this extra room ready. We had the empty beds that we were praying over and the empty dressers and the empty closets. And we knew that our family could absolutely work reunification and love on the kids who needed us for a short amount of time until the kids who needed us forever came along. So we made the call to DHS and switched to adopt, switched from adopt only 
to foster. And that's been one of the best decisions that um, we've ever made for our family. It was, it's been a fantastic thing. Um, and, and right along walking through that, I was also working towards launching the call in our area, which is a, is a faith-based nonprofit that works to recruit and train and then provide ongoing support for foster and adoptive families. Yes. And the call is who we trained through and they're just like super amazing in every way. And she said earlier, just for those of you who are listening and not local, Pulaski County is the Little Rocks at Central Central Arkansas area. And then Anne lives in Northwest Arkansas where I live. So this is considered area one. So Anne is the area one director. Am I right, Anne? Did I get all that right? Yes. Okay. Um, um, so the call is, I mean, it's a county by county initiative. Our Northwest Arkansas affiliate is a little bit different because we do encompass the entire DCFS area, but that has worked best for us and for our area. Yes. So, okay. That's like a crazy amount of background in a really short amount of time. And I'm amazing that I'm amazed that you, uh, have your, you have that nutshelled so well, um, because that's so much, but so do you have any stats for like how many foster kids you have had in your home? Um, I think we stopped counting right around like just past 20. So we're right around 20 to 22 ish children. That's actually not a lot for as many years as we were open, we had a lot of long-term placements that ended in adoption. Um, so we didn't have a lot of just placements in and out. Right. And, and so what is the order that you adopted? Who is your, was it Dan? That was your first adopted one. David David was our first adoption. His adoption was finalized. I think he was nine months old, um, which is, that is quick. I, it was very quick, and I'm always hesitant to say that because we typically say, oh, you're you're not going to adopt a baby. That's just not the way this works. Yeah. And our, our first adoption was this baby um, who came into care. It was a reunification case, um, but his birth parents quickly decided that they couldn't um, – they couldn't parent him the way they wanted him parented, and they actually signed their rights away. Um, so that case then was fast-tracked towards adoption. Um, then we adopted Daniel six months after that. Six months after David's adoption, we adopted Daniel on his first birthday, so another baby adoption. Yeah. And then six months after Daniel, we were able to adopt Charlotte, which was incredible. Charlotte was... Um, just shy of her 18th birthday at that time. And, and I hope I'm not over, but Charlotte is one of your special needs kids, correct? She is. Yes. Charlotte has a low IQ, um, and a few other diagnoses. And so she'll probably actually live with me forever. Um, she's just the most precious thing. And her story is incredible. She's one of those, like, had I known what we were saying yes to, I would have said no out of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that God just shielded me from all of the details of the things that I was walking into because I just didn't know. And she's this amazing gift that we've been given because we just said yes and walked through that um, with her. And then um, after Charlotte's adoption, we actually kind of went on hold for a while because Charlotte's brother, who wasn't able to live with us at the time, but we were still involved with his case, he was just bouncing um, from home to home. And we had hoped that eventually we would be able to move him back in. And we did. Um, so we were able to then move Leo in a couple of years later and adopt him, uh, just after his 18th birthday. Um, and then went on hold again for a little while as we moved to a bigger house, because that was a lot of people to have in a 1600 square foot house. Oh my gosh. And 1600 square feet. It was, we were just busting at the seams. (laughs) Just a little. It was it was insane, but we were all. I mean, we were happy. We loved yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I don't think I realized that Leo and Charlotte were biological siblings. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, because their cases seem so different. A lot of people don't know that, and then the people who do even know that usually think that Leo is older, but Charlotte is older by a year. They're they're pretty close in age. And Leo is the one that does not live with you anymore, right? right. No, he lives out on his own. Cool. Um, okay. So then and after Leo, we went on hold to buy a bigger house, move because I knew, I still knew my family wasn't done. And I actually had been given a name. Um, when I was pregnant with Kylie, I knew the name of the child that our family would end on. Um, and, and so I knew our family wasn't done, but I didn't know what that looked like. 
Mm-hmm. So we moved to, moved to a bigger home. Um, and in the meantime, had taken in, we kind of temporarily took in a teenager that we had known who was friends with one of our previous foster placements and kind of didn't keep walking through the process there. And also, I don't know, a little bit of fear because I do know what it's like to walk, to work with DCFS. And sometimes that is scary. Um, <laughs> even, I mean, I have a great relationship with them and I was still like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this again. Um, but then, so that teenager moved out and we just kind of, I was just kind of coasting. I wasn't doing, I definitely wasn't doing what God had laid on my heart and I wasn't like working towards getting my home open. And at Christmas time, Christmas um, of 2013, God just really spoke very clearly and told me to get uh, the extra room ready for, for a girl. So, so I, I was like, okay, I will get the room ready. I will do that. So I, I got the room ready. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if I was going to get pregnant and we were going to have another child or if there was some sort of a domestic adoption that was going to kind of come our way and we were going to be called to that. I had no idea. Our home was not open for foster care at the time, but I got the room ready. I was just going to be obedient to what I knew I was being called to do. And a month after that, I got a phone call that David's half-sisters had come into care. And I knew he had I knew he had the one half-sister who is... 14 months younger than he is. Um, but she had just had a a brand new baby sister born. So, um, they came into care, um, and we were called and the department asked if we'd be willing to open our home to take in his sisters. And it was still a reunification case. It was going to be straight up foster care, all the visits, all the things, but that if reunification couldn't work, the girls could be raised with their brother. And I just love that so much. I have such a heart for siblings and keeping them together. Um, so um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know you get, you get that too. David has even come to me and said like over the last couple of years, just thank you. I, I might not know who my sisters are if you hadn't moved them in. And I love that he gets that. And I love that they get to grow up together because uh, I know it's not always possible for these sibling groups to be kept together, but it's not the same to have just sibling visits. Like I love that they get to fight like siblings and grow up like siblings and other <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, so we, we moved the girls in, worked their case and um, finalized their adoption. Like I think we were at 21 months um, for that, for that case, 20 or 21 months. And I mean, let's back up here because you're forgetting a very important and hilarious detail. Um, so you guys remember Anne is the director of the call that trains these people on foster care. And so she knows the rule book forward and back. She has all of the DCFS phone numbers in her phone book. And she and her husband had to sit through these classes. <laughs> right. I had to retrain. Um, I, I, that at that point, I think that was my thirtieth round of this training that I sat through. <laughs> which I like. I wasn't going to tell my trainers who who volunteer for me. I wasn't going to tell them that I was going to sit through this training, and I was just going to show up. But that wasn't very nice. So we made sure they knew, like, hey, I'm actually going to be in this training. I'm going to be sitting in a seat and doing all the homework and all the things. Uh, which I love the training. So it's, it was fun for me, but it was, they were a little nervous to have to train me again. It's still just hilarious that like you trained the people who had to train you and then they signed off on you being trained. For me, it was, I know it sounds silly, but it was kind of an integrity thing. Like I didn't want to have to have a certificate handed to me for something I didn't actually go through the steps and do. Right. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to do the things that we ask our homes to do. And I'm going to sit here for 30 hours and I'm going to pay attention and, um, and get my certificate. Yeah. Yeah. And we're also glad you did. And so now you're, uh, my father party of eight children, which is just insane. Um, yeah. And they're all pretty cute. So we, we own a photography company and we've had the pleasure of shooting their family a couple of times and they're just a lot of fun. Um, and now Meredith is also special needs as well, right? Meredith is special needs. She has a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. So her care is, um, while it's getting easier as she gets older, there, there's a lot involved with that. She wasn't fully potty trained until, uh, she was five and she was in kindergarten at that point. Uh, she still has 
kind of some medical machines that we have to do in the morning and in the evening, and she's still tube-fed through her G-tube. She's um, she's learning to eat, and she's doing really well, but she doesn't take enough nutrition orally yet that we don't have to do that. Whew. So how have your other children reacted to, I mean, her special needs specifically, because I think that they're a little bit more obvious than Charlotte's, right? Right. Um, they are a little bit more obvious, and I think actually – that has been easier on them because they're more obvious. Mm. Uh, so, so they understand and, and just explaining to the kids, like all God made humans in a whole lot of different ways. And we all, we all function differently and we see things differently and our bodies just work differently. Um, and they, they kind of get it and they were fairly young. I mean, the boys were four when Hayden and Meredith moved in. And so they like, they just really didn't question much. They were kind of curious, obviously at first, like, what are you hooking that tube up to? <laughs> that I don't have. Um, but they, they just have kind of rolled with it. Now they actually sit down and they help with her feedings and, and do the things. And some days obviously are harder than others with her. Some days they lose their patience, but for the most part, they're, they're pretty fantastic with her. Oh, that's just so awesome. Um, Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit. Um, how long uh, you got a surprise less than a year post Yeah, no, it was very much less than a year post adoption for Hayden, right? Oh, uh, yeah, um, it was the day after adoption. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so leading up to adoption, Hayden had just been, she'd been kind of sickly, like, I don't know, just running low grade fevers and not really feeling great. And I'd had her in and out of the doctor. Um, and we just kept saying, it's just got to be some sort of a virus. It wasn't, it wasn't responding to antibiotics. So we just kind of thought it's got to be a virus. Just let it work its way out. And right around adoption, she just started getting worse to the point. Uh, we saw our doctor a couple of days before the adoption and he's watching her. We actually left our adoption and went back to the doctor that day uh, so he could check on her again. And he had um, he prepared me and said, hey, I mean, you can go home tonight. But if she's not, she's not eating better and drinking a lot of fluids and just clearly better by tomorrow, I want you to be prepared that we might, you know, t- put her in the hospital at least to get her some fluids and some nutrition. And uh, I, I mean, at that point, that sounded reasonable because she just was not looking great and she wasn't feeling well. Um, so the next morning, we woke up, got the rest of the kids off to school, and our doctor, who is who is fantastic, just said, "Hey, you know, I just I really feel like I want to run some extra tests to make sure we're not missing something." So he actually sent us to the hospital to have a, a chest X-ray to check for pneumonia, but also just to run some blood work. Um, and I we did that headed we're heading back home and didn't even make it back home so i mean in the span of maybe 15 20 minutes after we left the hospital i got a call from from him from our doctor and he was using his his calm doctor voice um which i don't like yeah i don't like yeah. i could tell like he's and he's a, i mean he's a friend of ours also um but i could tell he was he was using his calm voice um and he said hey uh i need you to turn around and just go to, straight to the emergency room like right now he said her, her blood work came back and it, it's not good. Uh, she was very anemic. Her hemoglobin was really low. These things are like just spinning around in my head. I was at that point maybe two minutes from my house. So I just said, hey, can I – because he had said, you're going to be going to the children's hospital. They're going to transfer you. I said, can I run home and, and pack a quick bag? And he said, no, you need to turn around and go to the emergency room now. Ooh, oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I look in the back seat in the rear room. I will never forget this. Like just looking at my baby sleeping in her car seat in the back seat. And I didn't know at that point what was going on, but I knew it was bad. Um, so we drove straight to the emergency room. I walked in. They were expecting us. He had called them, and I could tell by their faces that it was bad. Um, and they were just rushing everywhere, getting her hooked up. It took a while to get IVs started, and then they – bust out so she had IVs in both wrists and and in at least one of her ankles I think by the time we left in both of her ankles um and I wasn't letting myself do the thing where you google um the the things you know I, I was like don't do it just don't don't google it they'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it um and so I sat there and my doctor's texting me just checking on me and he said I'm I'm gonna come by and check on things and see you um so he came by 
Um, and he waited and there, I mean, the doctors and nurses are in and out. They are just rushing around. Like I, I'm, I, it's hitting me how sick my baby is. Um, and they, they get a, a blood transfusion started and then they walk out and he, he just looks at me and, um, told me that most likely my baby had leukemia and that that's, that's what we're going to be dealing with. And that, um, I mean, he said, I don't I mean, he even mentioned that we might have to move to Little Rock for her treatment there. I mean, there are different types of leukemia and different treatment plans. Um, but you know, I, I just, I, I swallowed hard and that just kind of washed over me. Like what all this means. Um, I'm like, okay, well, what else could it be? And he was like, that's actually probably what you want it to be at this point. The other things are not good either. Um, so I said, okay, okay. Um, so Hayden was transferred to Arkansas Children's Hospital. We took a sunset helicopter cruise through the Ozark Mountains. That was not as awesome as I'd always thought it would be. Yeah, the first of many, right? <laughs> right. No, she's only only the one helicopter um, trip. But um, I just, like, ugly cried the entire way. I could see my baby. She was strapped down to this gurney, and she's terrified. She can't see me. She can't hear me. It is loud in there. She doesn't know where I am. Um, there's like, you know, strange men that she doesn't know kind of messing with her. And they kept saying, oh, it's okay. She'll just, kids always just fall asleep with the rocking of the helicopter and the white noise. And I was like, she's not going to, she's terrified. She's not going to fall asleep. And I just watched her and I couldn't do anything. Um, and Gosh. I just like ugly cried in front of strangers who don't know me the entire way there. Every once in a while they try to make some sort of small talk or ask me a question, but I just sobbed the 45 minutes that it took to get us there. We, um, I mean, by the time we got there, she was sobbing. She was freaking out cause she couldn't find me. Um, our helicopter landed and they, they had told me, they said the second we touch down, you just reach over and grab her. We're just going to let you get her immediately and we'll let you carry her out of the helicopter she wants you I was like yes okay yeah so the second like we touched down at children's they unbuckle her they get her to me um and she just sunk into my chest and she said oh, are we all done and I was just oh. like oh baby this is just the beginning um so we walk in and I'm like I remember uh, there are things I will never forget, like walking out of Mercy and Rogers or walking out of their emergency room um, to the helicopter. I'm watching all the doctors and nurses in their faces because they know, they know that this baby has cancer and I don't, I don't know it yet. I mean, I know that most likely that's what it is, but, um, but they know and I'm watching their faces and I think what, I mean, what a hard job that's got to be for them. And then the same when we land, I'm watching all their faces, all the doctors and nurses, and they're looking up and they're watching this team walk in and I'm, I've got this baby in my arms and, and I watch their faces and they all know, I know they know. Um, so we get settled in a room and a whole team of doctors comes in to check her out. And, um, this one doctor who is, I mean, he'll always be precious to me, like, He's kind of fiddling. I don't know if he did it on purpose or not. I feel like he did, but he was kind of holding his name badge um, as he asked me if I knew why we were there. Um, and he's kind of holding it so I can't see. I, I couldn't see it. Um, and, I, and I told him, yes, that, that my doctor had told me that most likely my baby had leukemia. And then so the, he, he was like, yes, that's, that's what we think is probably going on here. And he lets go, and I can see that his name tag says that he's an oncologist. And I think – I remember thinking, I'm so glad that my doctor – like knows me and loves me enough to come and tell me what I'm walking into because I can't imagine finding out that my baby had cancer because her oncologist walked into the room. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it was such hard stuff. Um, but they, I mean, they took such great care of her. And by that point, um, I've got some great videos of, of the two of us sitting in that emergency room, just killing time. Cause she actually, because she'd had so many fluids and a couple of blood transfusions at that point, she was feeling better and perking up and kind of being silly. And it was, it was really sweet. At one point I just look at her and I was like, Hayden, Hayden, are you, are you, gonna, are you okay? Are you going to be okay? And she looked at me and she did this, um, where you like shoot your little guns and you go, and she, she <laughs> was like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Um, it's one of my favorite videos of her is just like, I was like, okay, you're going to be okay. It's okay. Yeah. 
hard stuff. And I remember like I was just, I mean, she was impatient for 10 days that first time. And I was really angry at God. Um, just like, I was like, you couldn't even give me like a day to celebrate her adoption. Like, yeah, like one day would have been nice. Anything. Um, I mean, I had to call that next morning. I had to call or text the adoption special. I, I couldn't handle talking on the phone to many people. Um, and I, you know, asked like about adoption paperwork. I was like, Hey, uh, how long will it be before we, you know, we have, I don't know, adoption decrees in hand to prove that this is my baby. Yeah. It's like, Oh, it, you know, it takes a few months. And I was like, well, what, what if there's an emergency? I was like, well, what, um, what kind of emergency? And so I had to call him and tell him that, that my baby has leukemia. Um, that were in the hospital and um, that team, I don't even know who all had to jump through all the hoops, but I had adoption decrees in hands by the end of that next day. Um, That's so amazing. Two days after adoption, I had adoption decrees so that um, I could, I was like, I can't prove that this is my child or that her name isn't what the name in the system anymore. That like, it just was so hard, but um DHS worked really hard to make sure that we had everything we needed and were taken care of, which was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I wish that more people could hear the good stories of DCFS and just how right. they they do take care of people sometimes. And um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's it's good to hear they those things. They hard jobs, but I just, they, they took such good care of us. And I, I hated having to call and tell everybody because – as you've said, like, this isn't just, it wasn't just that these were caseworkers to me because this is also my job. These are people I work with and they're my friends that I had to call and say, this baby that we all care about and we all love has cancer. And especially when it was so raw. I mean, at that moment, you probably hadn't even processed it all yet. And no, no, yeah. Um, but Hayden, um, never, I don't, she never did this before, but from that first night in the hospital, she wanted to walk the halls and that was the only thing to comfort her when we're, when we were in the hospital. And to this day, um, almost two years later, that's, that's the thing that she wants to do, um, is, is have me hold her and we walk. And so as hard as it was, like, I didn't get to do the thing where, that I would have done, which was just hold up in that hospital room and not come out and not talk to people and not see anybody. I was out walking the halls in the, in the pediatric cancer wing. So I'm seeing all of the other parents with their cancer babies. And I'm seeing babies who are clearly sicker than my baby. And I'm seeing the doctors and the nurses and we're making rounds at 2 AM where I'm just walking and bouncing and holding her. And I'm just sobbing as I'm walking through this and just processing it on my own and having the conversations with God where I couldn't even be private in, in that because Hayden wanted to walk the halls. So we walked the halls and I think, I mean, so many of those things probably just saved my life because she forced me out of the room where I would have just sunk in and not dealt with it. And just, and I, I didn't, I wasn't able to. Yeah. Goodness. And I mean, so first of all, I'm thinking of how awesome your mom guns <laughs> must be <laughs> after because yeah. she's almost four and you're still doing laps and oh, be, do it. I said, yeah, we are still doing the laps. That's what she does. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And and I'm also, I'm thinking, I mean, how do you come back from that? How do you rectify that relationship with God after he hands you what feels like an impossibility? And, I mean, I know we still have a lot of your story to cover, but, y'all, I mean, like, yeah, this so, is probably the worst, but there's there's more hard stuff, you know? Right. This is, this is the worst, but there is more hard, but... God was so good to just not only like through Hayden just forced me out of just sinking in, um, but just to show up in little ways and show me that he was still there. Let that very first night when we got wheeled up to the, to, to what we all call 4k, the hematology oncology wing at the children's hospital. Um, our sweet nurse from that night is sitting there, you know, asking questions and, and kind of admitting us and, um, foster care comes up because she has, um, she was a, an FFSS, basically a babysitter, a certified babysitter for a foster home in Pulaski County. And they were thinking about 
going through the training through the call to get open as a foster home. And so here I was in this awful thing, realizing that this is going to be my new normal. And God brought my, my old normal and my comfort zone like into that. And I got to just talk foster care for a little bit and just be a normal person. And, and that like several times showed up where other nurses would pop in and ask questions about foster care and the call. And it was just fantastic. And, um, and it, I mean, my people just showed up in, in big ways to just love on me through that. And, and a lot of my friends just did a great job of letting me talk through how do I know that God is good through this and not just say, you know, that, that you're not allowed to wrestle with those things. Cause I, I didn't know until this, that, that there are people who don't think that's okay to wrestle through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it would like the people who let me ask the hard questions and the process through, I mean, I never, I never doubted that there was a God, but it was just hard to say, how is this loving and how is this good? I don't understand. And especially when you see babies sicker. I mean, Hayden was very sick, but there were a lot of children that I've met who were much sicker. And and still, like, it, it comes up because I'll see it now because I have so many cancer mama friends um, regularly. Uh, I'll just log on to Facebook. Like, like a normal person, you get on Facebook and you think you're going to scroll and see, you know, kid pictures and recipes. And I see that another baby went to heaven this morning. Um, that's what my Facebook feed is filled with. Wow. It's such hard stuff, but it has been so good. Um, God has just been good to say, it's okay. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to let you be angry and I'm going to let you ask the questions and we'll walk through this. And he's just not ever left my side through this. And, and you found that he can take it. He can take it. He knows my heart. Um, so he can take it when I'm angry and I know he can. Um, and I, I love that. Like, I love that, that I know that he's, he's safe. He knows my emotions and he knows my heart. Um, and I can ask the questions, um, that are really hard because some of some things in this world are just really hard and there aren't good, easy answers for them. Yes. Absolutely. And I mean, and what a testimony. And, and I know, I feel like that's such a, a Christianese thing to say, just like, oh, what a testimony. But I mean, just the fact that you got to share your heart through all of this. And I say through all of this because it's not over. Um, what's her, what's her final date? Uh, her end date, we've got five more months. We're actually, we're under the five month mark. She'll be done in January, January uh, 19th of 2018. She'll be done. Yeah, not so, that not that you're counting or anything, but not that I'm counting. I, I might have a countdown app on my phone already <laughs> when that comes up. And there's, yeah. I mean, there's so many other little details. Like a, a friend of both of ours, actually, Kelly, who's going to be on this podcast later. She came over and shaved your baby's head, and there was just there was a GoFundMe account set up for you guys. So yeah, a my lot sister of- set up a GoFundMe account. Kelly um, had told me like. She would be my go-to. She'd be my person to call when um, it came time to shave Hayden's head, which was so hard. This was my precious little baby with her little blonde baby hair that I had never, I mean, we were just getting to have little baby piggy tails. And um, one day she woke up and it was just coming out in these ratted masses all over. Um, So I texted Kelly and just said, hey, uh, it's time. And she came over and we cried together and she just shaved my baby's head. And that was my baby's first haircut. Wow. And I mean, I have to say probably the cutest video of, of Hayden came out of that, that bald head, which is the one where she's saying she doesn't care. And it's just, it's really yes. funny. Yeah. We, um, she was impatient for chemo at the time and arguing with me because I told her she needed a bath and she, she had this whole long thing and then she mumbled something under her breath and I said, what? And she said, I don't care and I don't care with her little <laughs> bald head and her painted fingernails. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was so perfect. I but love like, it. Yeah. Um, so in the midst of all of this, I mean, keep in mind, this is not done happening. Yeah. And so this was all happening. But what was what was kind of the next big thing on this Job journey that you've been on? Yeah, of this Job journey. Um, goodness. So short, like, 
after that, um, and just walking through, I guess, the stress of all of this, um, my husband wasn't handling it as well and face and became unsafe with the kids. Um, and so I, I had to make some phone calls. We've had, I had to have him move out. Um, actually courts have been involved, which has been really hard. Um, and he's, I mean, he's been walking through counseling. This was at this point over a year ago now, but so he moved out. Um, and so I've been here with the kids uh, pretty much mostly on my own for the last, goodness, year plus, um, maybe 15, 16 months at this point, um, walking their little hearts through. My baby sister has cancer, and my dad doesn't live here anymore, and all the hard things has been, um, that was really hard. I know I'm mostly glossing over a lot of the details, but I just want to be respectful because that's not all my story. Um, But that's, it's just been hard. Like I've had my heart broken so many times in the last couple of years. And that was, that was some hard stuff to walk through and to still walk through and to walk their little hearts through it too, because it wasn't, these aren't just things that I get to process and I have the freedom to process them however I want. I also have to, you know, put on my mom pants and sit down and, and just take it and process it with my babies while they ask the hard questions and while they get angry and they don't understand. I just can't, I can't even imagine. And I mean, before all this, would you have ever thought that you could do this on your own? No, not, not in a million years. I mean, there are so many things that I would said, there's just no way I could handle that. Um, I I wouldn't have the first idea how to walk through any of that. And um, here you are. And here I am. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. uh, Here I am. Because um, for whatever reason, God decided that this is my path. And there's been some really great stuff. I still like I'm, I'm just an optimist and I still see great things even in the midst of all of this hard and this destruction and this. Um, you know, looking around like, whose life is this? How is this? How is this my life? This is so off track from where I thought I would be. Goodness. And I mean, and on top of all of this, your, I mean, your loyalty to your job was put into question and it was just, I mean, some of that. It's a totally normal thing. Like, I, I don't know that I know of a cancer parent who at least one of the parents hasn't lost a job or almost lost a job um, because it takes so much time and energy and effort to, to fight for your baby's life. And so it did, um, it came into question on whether or not I could do my job. Um, and I, I love my job and my job is hard. I actually, I promise you, I sit down with God at least at least once, maybe twice a year and say, hey, God, um, can I be done here? Can you call me something else? Uh, that'd be great. And he, he always says, yeah, no, um, this, is where I, this is where I need you. Um, but it was really hard because I found myself in a season of, of fighting for my job, which I just didn't see coming. And that was, that was hard because here I'm fighting for my baby's life and I'm doing all the things that I need to do for her and I'm still making time for my job that I love but then I also have to prove that I can and that I want to um, and and know that at the end of the day like I'm not my own boss so those decisions aren't just mine to make and I'm sure that there I mean I just can imagine that there were so many times where you wanted to be like you want it fine take it please yes. like yes I, I, so many times but I just wanted to say this would be so much easier if I just gave in and walked away. Um, but I knew that I was called to this. And so that, it, that was that was really hard because I felt like I was fighting to stay in a place that I knew I was called to. Um, and I knew I was still I, I'm beneficial and I have something to give in this capacity. And I didn't know if anybody else saw that in me anymore. Well, I mean – the people that are not above you, but that you have blessed definitely see it. And I know this firsthand. I mean, I know you were, I think you were walking laps with Hayden one time when I sent you like an SOS text, like, can I please yeah. talk to you? And you were like, sure, hang on. <laughs> right. 
Oh my goodness. And I just, I can't imagine the, just the like strength from God that has to come to a person who is listening to other people's problems while you are facing way worse demons head on by yourself for the most part. I just, I, I'm like a little bit in awe of you and I'm not like, we don't have to make that weird, but it's just, you're just like really awesome. And I'm so thankful for you. And I know that everyone else that you have touched their lives is too. Um, I know like, I mean, you know, the, the sleepless nights and all that, like that's, I'm alone in that, but I really do have people who show up regularly and, um, and I've just learned like they don't have to be able to make things better or fix things to be my friend. They can just sit in it with me and make sure I'm not alone. And that has been one of the most important things to just keep my head above water is to know like I've got people showing up. So it hasn't been just completely always on my own. Right. And um, in, yeah. in Job terms, that's called ash heaping, right? <laughs> and they ash heap with me and it is an incredible thing. And I ask God all the time if we could just, you know, maybe switch and I can, I can be an ash heaper with somebody else. Cause that'd be really, I, I think I could do that. <laughs> I think I could do well. And he's still like, yeah, no, sweetheart. Um, that's, this is where I need you. You, you get to be the Job right now. Um, <sighs> which is, I mean, it's, it's really pretty uncomfortable place to be. Um, because a lot of people don't know what to say. I've been asked, um, I've been asked what, what open sin I must have in my life that has brought all this. Are all you, of this are, oh stuff. my goodness. Um, yeah, by somebody, somebody I, I very much respect asked me, um, what, what open sin there must be because my life has just been so hard for a, a couple of years now. Um, and I, I just, that was a hard one to walk away from um, yeah. and process that and just realize like, no, that's actually not biblical. And even though you don't realize it, like even that is prosperity gospel to say like, well, if you, if you don't have open sin, then your life should be fine. And that's not what we're promised. We're actually promised that our lives would look a lot more like this when we're walking through some hearts. Like when we walk and follow what God has called us to, if he calls you to big things and you're really fighting some major battles on behalf of God, um, you're kind of promised that your life is going to be hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. It's like my baby was going to have cancer hard because I probably wouldn't have signed up for that. Yeah. Um, but, um, just, it, it definitely is different hard than what I thought I was getting myself into, but it's still like, it's still good. And I still know that, that God is good in all of this, but I've had to go back and read it, reread Job a few times <laughs> and just <laughs> take all that in. Goodness. So, I mean, was there, do you, do you feel like this has just been a like survival mode, keeping your head above water, just like tunnel vision through this? Or was there some, was there a defining moment where you realize I can either just give up or keep going? I mean, I've had several of those moments because I've had several of these like just awful waves that have washed over me that after every single one of them, I'm like, am I, am I done here now? Do I give up or do I? again, stand up and, and keep fighting. And so after every single one of the hard things that's come my way, I've kind of had to reexamine and I, I can't think of a specific like, Oh, at this exact moment. Um, yeah, but just every time, I mean, my doctor was good to come to me right after Hayden's diagnosis and say, Hey, you know, most, most people walking through something like this eventually need some sort of medication for anxiety, um, or depression. And he said, I, I want you to, to be brave and ask for it when you feel like you need it. Um, and I love that he said that. And he, he said that that would be being brave yeah. because it doesn't feel brave to say, I'm not handling this so well. I think I could maybe use some medication. And I mean, there did come a time where I started just being triggered by a lot of things where I had to get on some anxiety medication, which I still have if I need it. Um, but then there was also a a time for a few months where I did have to go on to some antidepressants even. Um, I wasn't suicidal, but I definitely got to the point where I thought I totally see how people get there. Yeah. I see how people just don't want to live anymore because this is hard on it just on every end was hard. Um, and that like the antidepressants definitely, (laughs) definitely helped just kind of numb, numb that hurt and that pain. 
um, and that anger because I, for the longest time, was really angry. But walking through counseling, um, the counselor kept pointing out, like, that anger is just, it's a secondary emotion, and it's just really protecting you from the sad. Mm-hmm. Um, when I finally got through the anger and saw this, like, Grand Canyon of sad, that was scary. And I was like, no, 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 I want to, can I, can I go back to just being angry? I'd like yeah. to go back to being angry now. That's <laughs> safer. Anger, I know, and I know what to do with it. It's fine. Um, but walking through the sad was really, really hard, like, um, just, just hard stuff. So I, I went on antidepressants for a little while, but I actually, um, I didn't like that. I didn't, it kind of just leveled everything and I didn't feel happy either. Yeah. I just kind of, um, cause I loved one of the things, I don't know, this is going to sound really weird, but one of the things that I've loved about this hard journey is, is understanding the depth of emotion that I didn't know existed and it's just like like most people maybe paint with a couple of colors out of the rainbow and you get to this depth of sadness that there's these deep blues and purples that not everybody understands and it just it's got some beauty in it in that I know I keep saying depth but that's the only word I can think of um it, it's been beautiful yeah even the sad um and and it makes the happy times like that much happier to know that like this deep sadness exists and I and I've been there and I've sat in it and I didn't run away from it scared I sat in it and I faced it head on and walked on through wow that's I mean that's such an amazing description that I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe before and I I really like it oh thanks I've had I've had a few like you know nights sitting alone in the hospital to, with the sleeping baby to like sit in this and think about how it feels and what how I would explain this to people who haven't been there. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, and so, I mean, does that bring us to now? Uh, I think so. Um, <laughs> I think mostly, yeah, like. Just walking through all of that, that, I mean, we've, we've kind of covered all the hard, awful stuff. Um, so pretty, pretty much everything else is just, just waking up every day and doing the things that need to get done. And that does bring us. Well, and that's not even counting. Like we know so well that adoption has its own just craziness. And the fact that we haven't even touched that in your story says something because I mean, especially with special needs kids, I just can't imagine just yeah. the daily roller coasters. I mean, it we have some hard. Yeah. It's hard stuff, but um thankfully my I mean, we had one of our kiddos was um we got him into some pretty good counseling because even just walking them through my baby sister has cancer was hard, hard stuff for them to process. Um and so behaviors went nuts at school um and I mean we kind of had to seek out some intense services and thankfully I mean we're just so so blessed with a great support team around my family um from our our doctor who talks to the our you know occupational therapists and physical therapists and speech therapists and the play therapists and they all actually talk to each other to come up with the best plan for my kids. And then they talk to the school and they help show up at 504 meetings and just make sure that my kids are um, set up for success. And that's been, that's been a lot. It's, it's a lot to handle, but it, there's a fantastic team in place. Yeah. And that's amazing. And you have, you have kids at like two or three different schools, right? Um, just, just two. Thankfully, um, just two different schools, which isn't, it's not awful. I mean, it, it works. I mean, it just, it sounds like it would be awful if I was having to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Right, because it's not like it's, I've got kids at the elementary and then kids at the junior high. Like I have three kids at the public elementary school and then two kids at a, at a charter school. Um, but their calendars line up. So most things, it works pretty well. That's awesome. So, okay. So this kind of like, these are just some like takeaway type questions. Um, okay. if you're good with that. So yeah. what do you, just 
out of all of this, what do you wish someone had just grabbed you by the shoulders and looked you in the eye and told you at the beginning of this journey? Or would you have rather not known and walked into it the way you did? Yeah, no, I really am super grateful that I didn't know, um, that I didn't know what I was walking into in so many of the cases and so many of the things that I've said yes to, I just didn't know what I was saying yes to. And I'm, I'm really grateful. I, I think that there was um, a lot of God's protection and his wisdom in that because I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been fully prepared um, and I would have walked away. I would have said no. Yeah. Just really great things. Is there, is there any piece of advice that you would have wished someone had told you though? Um, goodness. I think just putting that support system and those people in place sooner would have mm-hmm. been great. That's um, a good one. Just not waiting until everything got so hard before you kind of rally your team and your troops and you make sure that you're well supported. I think from out of the gates, our families have got to be, um, and it's one of the things I'm most passionate about in my job now is just making sure that our families are prepared out of the gates, that they are getting that support team in place and they understand how important it is. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I feel exactly the same way because I feel like I hear this from adoption mamas over and over and over again, just that they are so worn out by the time they Uh even think to get help. And, and that's a huge goal of this podcast even is just to, just to be able to talk about these things in a more accessible way about like, it's really hard and here's exactly how, because I feel like when I walked into it, I was like, yeah, 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 it'll be hard. I know it'll be hard. Right. But you just don't really get it. <laughs> you don't really get it until you're in it. And I feel like that's what, I mean, most of our families are. And I was in the same boat too. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard. Um, but you don't realize, like, it could be your baby's going to get cancer hard or your husband has to move out hard. Like, yeah. there's some hard, hard stuff. And the kids' behaviors, I know you touched on that. And we, I think it's hilarious that we've talked this entire time and we haven't even talked about all the adoption behavior yeah. stuff in my house. But. I was just thinking, I feel like I need to have you on again, like later on in the in the podcast, <laughs> yeah. and we can just talk about like you know how to love your adopted kids really well and stuff. Right. Yeah, we can do that too. Um, but I think you've got Kelly coming up on a different episode, and she does that. Like she's going to say all the things I would say anyway. Yeah, I I love that woman. Yes, she's pretty fantastic. Yeah, and she's hilarious. So get yes. excited for her interview. Um, okay, so what is something you wish you had done differently along the way or just through this journey? Oh, um, wow. I don't know. I just I don't think that there's much I would have done differently. Maybe just because some of the hard stuff came from from being so transparent and so vulnerable um, I maybe would have guarded some of my questioning and really known exactly who I could trust with that. And I think that maybe that's an important thing for, for adoptive and foster mamas too, is you mm-hmm. have to know and say the hard things to and ask the hard questions to who your safe people are and who maybe doesn't get it and is going to read into what you're asking and saying. Yes. And I mean, again, just on a completely like way lower level, I totally get that. And I feel like so many adoptive parents do that you see who your real yeah. friends are through this, this hard stuff. You do. Um, and you know, you find out who you can trust, but it's really sad when you like find out, like it'd be so much easier if everything was just well labeled. Yeah. <laughs> For us super organized moms, that would just be super. That would be awesome. <laughs> It'd be super. I'm not even a super organized mom, but I'd still like that system well labeled. Oh, whatever. I feel like you have to be more organized than the normal person to have eight children and get them all, you know, to school and appointments and stuff on time. I mean, we miss our fair share of stuff. And there is that day that I dropped a kid off last year with only one shoe on. That happens. (laughs) Uh, It makes for good Facebook updates does make for great Facebook stories. There's just not like, there's no pride left over here. And I'm, I'm a straight up type B person. I am not super (laughs) organized. Um, I'm learning. I mean, I have to learn to be, but it's not something that comes naturally to me at all. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um, okay. So what's, what is your, what is the best or like your favorite way that your tribe supports you? Okay. That, 
that totally depends on the day, but really my favorite is just when they make me laugh. Um, one of my favorites is if they, I mean, I'm pretty, I hold myself responsible to let them know when I'm having a hard day and when I'm really struggling and not just sit quietly in it. But, um, they'll just, one of them will call me and say, and just call me and I'll answer and she'll just tell a mildly off color joke and then just hang up or just text me something completely off the wall and hilarious just (laughs) to make me laugh. And that is probably one of my favorites other than, uh, like I said, just letting me ask the hard questions in a safe place. Yeah. And not feeling like they have to answer them. I mean, I don't have to answer them. No, they don't have to have any of the answers. They just let me process through it with them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Such a good word. So, okay. What, and this is the last one. So what's their, what's your biggest piece of advice or encouragement for just adoptive mamas in general? And I know that you've um, been in, you've, been inducted into the cancer mom group that you never wanted to be a part of, but just across the board, it can be cancer or just adoption in general. I just, um, my, it, my biggest piece of advice is that what you asked? Sorry, I got distracted. Yeah. Or encouragement. Yeah. Or encouragement. Um, to not shy away from the hard stuff to show up and don't push. Um, I'm totally stealing from, um, Glennon, Doyle Melton, I think that's her name now, um, and her love warrior, but like, don't easy button your way out of this stuff. Don't always look for the easy, like, I'm gonna distract myself with food or, um, you know, wine or exercise or TV and just drown out and not show up and process through the hard stuff. Because as adoptive mamas, like, we, we walk our babies through a lot of hard stuff and that then brings up our own junk and our own hard stuff. Oh yeah, And it can oh, yeah. be so easy because we're so tired. It can be so easy once we get them to bed to just easy button our way out and just, you know, veg out and Netflix all night or something. And I just, my best advice is really just to, to not do that, to like show up and sit through your pain and, um, and let it, let it teach you the things it's supposed to teach you because these are things that we're supposed to be learning too. Like, um, there's just such good stuff, but we can miss it, um, by burying it down. And if we do that, it's just not healthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know I'm kind of rambling, but no, just, no. And Jenny it, Allen calls that numbing uh, out in her book, nothing yeah. to prove. And I love oh, that. It, yeah. It just don't, don't do that. Like feel the feels. It's really important to do. Um, but I think all the time, I think we see ourselves like, like we're shepherding our kids through their lives, but we forget that this is our life too. Um, and yeah. the things happening inside of the walls of our home that happen to our children are also happening to us. And if we give them the grace to process through and we sit and we say, this is important, we're going to work through it. It's important for us too. Yeah. And I, I feel like, I mean, that's one of the biggest things I've learned through this adoption journey is that I feel like before self-care felt really selfish and now I'm seeing how important it is. And part of that is, is walking through the pain and dealing with it and asking yourself, why do I feel this way and figuring it out and right. just thank the good Lord for counseling. <laughs> Absolutely. For good counseling. And I think the more I've like crossed, like sat in that and thought through the self-care feeling selfish thing, I realized that it's the opposite is more selfish. Like, because if we showing up and doing the hard work and processing through our emotions, that's not the hard, that's not selfish. Yeah. And, and that self care is part of that. But if we're just numbing it or easy buttoning our way through, that's, that's what's selfish. Um, because that's, that's the easy thing. It's taking the easy road. Absolutely. For me, it's this stupid like cooking dash game on the iPad. (laughs) I've been playing every second I get and I feel like a child for it, but it's totally numbing out and that's conviction for you. Yeah, it's hard stuff. I mean, it's hard to like get yourself back out of it. I love to find a good show on Netflix and just binge watch the entire show. And then I get all sad when it's over. Uh, (laughs) And then I'm like, well, here I am again, just seeing my emotions. (laughs) Gotta love it. I know. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And where can we find you on social media and stuff like that? Yes. Um, I'm, like, technologically challenged. I'm just on Facebook and Instagram, really. I do have a Twitter, but I don't really actually use it. Um, and they're both just my name and my thaller. And that that 
name can look like a bunch of other names, but go ahead and spell it for us because if, for a long time I thought it was Mathaler and then somebody corrected me and I was like, I'm really glad you did that before I actually spoke to her in person. Oh, that's sweet. I, I'm always, I don't mind correcting because once upon a time I had to take lessons on how to say that name too. Um, <laughs> Anne is A-N-N, my faller, M-E-Y-T-H-A-L-E-R. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm just so thankful that you came on to this podcast, and thank you so, so, so much, and we loved hearing your story. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was an honor. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.